and welcome to Undrafted, a Dynasty Game Theory podcast brought to you by the Undroppables. I am your host, Scott Belanger, a.k.a. Jax Falcone, at Dino Game Theory. This is episode two. Let's roll. Alright, this is a big time of year. Redraft season is upon us. Many drafts have already happened, but so many more still to come. This is typically a dynasty-centric podcast, but it is absolutely redraft time right now. So I feel compelled to discuss the burning questions heading into the season. And I am joined by a guest today who definitely knows redraft, but is also one of my dynasty brethren. With me today is the host of the Dynasty Diagnostic Podcast. Say that five times real fast. He's had that pod for uh, just over a year. He's done writing for Number Fire, Player Profiler, Fan Tracks. He was my spirit animal in the Scott Fish Bowl last year. Etan Mozia. Etan, how are you? What's happening, man? What's going on, Scott? Thank you so much for having me on the show. I do do the Dynasty Diagnostic. I've been looking at all kinds of things that are kind of the pressing issues right now in, in trying to, to kind of get my Rocky workout routine ready for what I have going on at the Diagnostic. But man, I'm, I'm ready. Like I'm, I've been ready for months now. COVID-19 has had me staying inside. So, so now I'm just kind of. Just sitting there, kind of like uh, the, the same type of skit that you'd see in the Chappelle show, where he's just sitting there scratching himself. Like, that's how I feel about football right now. I'm, I'm kind of got that itch. So I, I just hope that, I hope that we can actually figure out who's wrong and who's right in these next couple of weeks, and and get to a point where we can finally just just stop with all the uncertainty for once and just have a decent idea if we're. At, any way on track with, with what we've been saying all last season. I, I love it, man. It's so true because I feel like we've all had this sort of tepid anticipation of the season. No, nobody's really putting their, their two feet in. I mean, you know, we've been working our asses off over at the Undroppables and putting the site together, but all the while wondering if it's just all going to kind of come apart and there's not going to be any football and therefore nobody's going to, you know, be paying attention to what we're talking about. And so it's so close. We are right around the corner and I am just kind of crossing my fingers and my toes to have a season. I'm so excited for it. I mean, you know, I said it last week on the pod with Tommy. It's like the reason I do this show, the reason that you do your show, the reason that we're doing all this nonsense is because we love the game. That's why. And so if it doesn't happen and we don't get to play fantasy football, we don't get to play DFS and the podcast doesn't mean anything or, you know, whether we, we do it or not, it just kind of all all falls. So, yeah, I'm, I'm holding my breath and, and really hoping we have a season. And it sure does look like we're going to, eh? Yeah, man, it's it's just it's everything you said. It's it's a football existential crisis right now. We're just thinking: Do we matter? Do we have a point in this world? <laughs> Does anything we said have any relevance to real life? So yeah, it's it's definitely going to be good to to see that happen. Although you know, with what's been happening with sports uh, recently over the past couple of days, specifically, I, I do know that it's a completely different circumstance uh, looking at the NBA and even the MLB versus what players uh, have in the NFL in terms of control over their own contracts and over what they're, they're really able to do. 
But I mean, there has to be some sentiment there. There has to be some same sort of ideas that some of the players have uh, about some of the things that are going on shared between uh, NFL and, and, and NBA players that they're they're finally starting to take a stand. So even if COVID-19 isn't necessarily the thing to delay the start of the season or to, to cause any trouble when it comes to making sure things go on schedule, we still may not be out of the woods yet. No, you're right on the money. Uh, that's a whole nother, I mean, pandemic citywide crisis and across the United States. Yeah. We've got a lot going on protests and, and all, all the rest of it. And, and it just feels a bit crazy. I mean, the, the 2020 will become a verb and a noun and an adjective uh, somewhere down the line where, you know, this is so 2020. So yeah, it's kind of jacked up, but you know, I think that's kind of what I'm looking forward to as well as sort of the distraction of football and the distraction of setting my lineup, the distraction of having these drafts, the distraction of, uh, of calling my brothers and, and, and talking to them about football rather than the nonsense that we, you know, we sort of seem forced to talk about. And, and on that note, you know, I will tell you many of you, I don't know if everybody, you know, listening, you know, all three of you, hopefully there's a lot more than that. But uh, listen, if you if you're listening and you don't know Etan, he is absolutely an amazing fantasy player. That's I mean, straight up, you know. I, t- I said my Scott Fishbowl spirit animal. He just was a- every moment had the the best team last year. I don't I don't know what the hell the lineup was now. I don't remember, but I just remember, you know, he wasn't in my in my division or anything. I just was I was just noticing, you know, I kind of pay attention. There's 1,200 guys, but it's easy to find the cream of the crop, and he was definitely it. And, and of course, he's going to be modest, but you're a hell of a player, and that's why I wanted to have you on at this time uh, of year. I've also listened to your podcast. I know you know what the hell you're talking about. So I was really excited to pick your brain about who you're fading, who you aren't, and to share with you who I'm fading or not or whatever, and to kind of get your feel as to whether or not I'm onto something or if you completely disagree. I hope we disagree. You know, we were we were playing around on Twitter the other day, and, and we found a little spot that we disagreed on. I don't know if I'll bring it up or not, but it was a lot of fun, and and uh, I don't know if you remember what that was. Do you remember what you we know, were disagreeing on? You know what, I have so about? many arguments on Twitter that I honestly don't remember which individual <laughs> one that was. But I do remember that we did get into it at some point over something. So I'm looking forward to what we got to talk about today because I'm sure that that's going to happen again. We're going to see two very, very well-researched takes kind of going against each other. So I'm, I'm excited about that today. I love it. I love it. Well, I'll refresh your memory because it's a pretty cool story. So there was a there was a post that came out and and I'll restate my case here because I feel like I got uh, there was a there was a little bit of uh, of piling on Mr. Mr. Game Theory here and it, so the 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 basic tweet was the Denver defense oh here we is go. you know getting so much better because they're playing this elite offense of of the uh, of their opponent the Denver Broncos and I was like what the hell are you talking about? There, there were there were a bottom five defense. Like this is a bottom ten. I mean, a, a bottom five offense. This is a bottom five to bottom ten offense in the league. And you know, there's a lot of people piling on. And I think you said something about them having top five skill positions. And I almost canceled the podcast when you said that. <laughs> I think that's true, though. I think that's true. And we were talking about, and I said this again during the tweet. Now that you really brought my memory back to this, we were talking about skill positions outside of quarterbacks so we were talking about running backs we were talking about wide receivers we were talking about tight ends pass catchers mostly but also the running back with the balls in their hands so when looking at skill positions and looking at skill position groups in the NFL I mean I I really do think that 
it's it's close. It's close when it comes to looking at the top five of uh, what the Denver Broncos can be this season. You did mention that that team was a pretty bad offense last year, but I mean, yeah, they were going to be a pretty bad offense last year. They had Brandon Allen starting games for them. They had uh, the ghost of Joe Flacco, and Joe Flacco alive so wasn't fun. even all that good uh, for for a couple of games last year, and we didn't necessarily have. Uh, Jerry Judy, we didn't have we didn't have a KJ Hamler type of receiver other than maybe Tim Patrick, uh, who who's a little bit of a deep threat. There were a lot of things that are added to this team in terms of what they can do to any opponent that they're facing. I think one of the things that you look at when you're looking at some of the best teams in the NFL in terms of offense is the types of adaptability uh, that that team can can actually morph into on game day. And I think that that's a very major difference between looking at a team that has Noah Font, Cortland Sutton, and pretty much nothing else versus a team that can attack you down the seam with Noah Font, can have Sutton on the outside, has one of the best intermediate targets uh, that we've seen coming out of college, one of the best route runners that we've seen coming out of college since Amari Cooper in Jerry Judy, now has a two-headed monster at running back. So in the event that uh, Philip Lindsay goes down again, or in the event that Melvin Gordon goes down again, we already know that there's a running back behind them that can be an RB1 in that system. So I think all these things combined, all these things put together, if your question to me is, yeah, but I don't trust Drew Locke, I say, okay, well, fine. You don't have to trust Drew Locke. What you can trust is the fact that Drew Locke is not going to have to make tight window throws. He's not going to have to throw really in contested situations all that much outside of when he does to Cortland Sutton, who just so happens to be one of the best wide receivers in the NFL when it comes to contested catch situations. So at every target depth of the field, you can see that this Broncos team has a guy that can cause extreme problems for his given matchup. And I think that's the difference between last year's offense and this year's offense. So for me, it's not a question of just looking at the numbers that we saw last year. It's a question of kind of understanding the context of the offense as a whole and comparing it to what we have this season, which kind of seems like a whole new world to me. Wow. I mean, this is why we want Mr. Mosia on the podcast. I mean, because how good did that sound? That was amazing. You did all that. It sounded so damn convincing, even though you were wrong. That was unbelievable. <laughs> I mean, if I if I gave you the wrong answer to a quiz, you could make it sound right. That's how damn good you are. Bravo. I mean, no, I, I'm having fun with you, but I will come back on you a little bit. First of all, I love Cortland Sutton. I'm, I'm as big a fan of Cortland Sutton. I'm higher on Cortland Sutton than consensus in terms of whether it be Dynasty Redraft or player uh you know evaluation so i'm with you there i i but if you were to say that he is a top 10 wide receiver in the league i don't think anybody's with you so they don't have a top 10 wide receiver in the league that means there are 10 teams that have a better wide receiver and a lot of those teams have a better number two you know julio michael thomas they all have great offenses they have better quarterback play they have better wide receiver play if you pulled the league right now and said Drew Locke is the, and you rank him, I think he probably ranks out in the 20s. And I don't think there's very many, if at all, any that are going to put him in the top 20. So they have a bottom 10 quarterback, 
Look, I'm hopeful and optimistic about Drew Locke. I really am. I don't I don't hate him. I'm not even trying to bash. I wasn't even trying to bash the Broncos, but I was called a little bit of a name there when I was trying to defend the point that I just don't think they're an elite offense. Certainly not yet. Uh, Drew Locke's going to have to show himself. Two of their, three of their best weapons are rookies in KJ Hamler, Jerry Judy, and you didn't mention my boy, Albert O. I think Albert O is, you know, probably not going to do much this year, but I think he has one of the highest ceilings at the tight end position in the NFL. But so I agree with you that there's definitely pieces there and they're definitely better than they were last year. They were the 28th ranked uh, offense last year. They were the 28th ranked in, in points and yards. I, they're not that. I agree with you 100%. They're way better. They're definitely middle of the road, but I don't think they're elite. I don't think that they give their defense a decided advantage with how good they are on offense. Is my really only point. You and I agree 100%. They're better than 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 a bottom five for sure. And again, I do give you a lot of credit. That was fucking straight fire that you threw at me. So great job. Yeah, I, I don't expect the Broncos team to, to go out and win the division this year, but I do expect the division to be a lot more competitive than it's been recently because... I mean, pretty much the, the, the Kansas City Chiefs have, have set the standard for what you need in the division. You need extreme speed on the outside. You need an underneath target that's going to be pretty much available at all times. And then you need a, a decent quarterback, and everybody's kind of trying to catch up. I don't necessarily put Derek Carr as the quarterback of the future out there uh, in Las Vegas. I think that Marcus Mariota was paid $18 million. Uh, most of that is guaranteed. I think there's a main reason for that. I think Marcus Mariota can do uh, to uh, Derek Carr what was done to him by Ryan Tannehill last year this season. But when you look at what that team actually did in terms of trying to follow or trying to at least compete with what these Chiefs present on a game-in, game-out basis, Henry Ruggs Ruggs was a very Raider-esque draft pick. It was speed, 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 and that's just to match up with Tyreek Hill. If you look at Brian Edwards, again, that's just trying to add another valued piece to this offense that can be a solid number two that can make that team better at getting to the red zone and better in the red zone than it has been over the past couple of seasons. If you look at what the Denver Broncos did, we just talked about everyone else on that team. And yeah, I even left out uh, Albert Abwegmanam. But I mean, when I'm looking at the teams around the Kansas City Chiefs, other than the Chargers, I think that everyone is trying to get more and more explosive in offense for, I guess, the reason of, of not necessarily even trying to, 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 to have the defense that can stand up with what the Chiefs provide, but to just be able to hang in games on, on, on scoring points alone. So I, I, really, I do think that we're seeing, I think we're going to see an eventual uh, coming to of, of of three teams in this division being amongst the best offenses in the league. And the only reason that I put the Chargers kind of off that pedestal a bit is because I don't know what is certain uh, in, in, in Los Angeles when it comes to looking at the Chargers. I don't know how many games Tyrod starts, although I think he deserves to start a full season. If Justin Herbert comes in, how does that change the offense? Now Mike Williams has gone down. I think I have some words about Austin Eckler with you uh, when it comes to him being off of your fade list. Not that I'm fading him either, but I do think that the price on Austin Eckler has jumped the shark a bit because uh, of, of what we've seen uh, from uh, this team in terms of uh, having a, a, a dual back system last year that they were able to work. I just don't think that the efficiency stays the same. And if we're going to have Josh Kelly uh, be that number two back because Justin Jackson obviously is dealing with some injuries right now, then I do think that 
uh, we're just not going to see the same heights from Austin Eckler as we've seen. I don't think he has that elite ceiling because you're banking on an incredible amount of efficiency. And we often see that when volume increases, uh, that is inversely correlated with the efficiency of that player going down in the next season. So that coupled with less targets uh, from a guy like Tyrod Taylor is kind of making me worry about Austin Eckler a bit uh, in the long run. But uh, yeah, every other team uh, in in that division is really, really trying to sell out on offense. I think the Chargers don't have to because they have one of the best defenses in the NFL. Yeah, I think you're right on the money. And uh, again, Etson just kind of showing me what's up with this, uh, This, uh, you know, his takes are, are straight fire. So you, you mentioned a couple things there. And, and, and the first thing I will say is I tweeted right as soon as the Denver Broncos made their picks, um, you know, they whether by accident or on purpose, they literally have the best player skill set match that you could ever ask for. I mean, they have Cortland Sutton, that real true X, uh, a dominant outside presence who can win contested. He's very athletic. He can break you you know, down deep. He, he can run the full route tree. He's a real true alpha. They bring in Jerry Judy, who literally is born to play the slot in the NFL. You're absolutely 100% right. I think people get a little too excited about his overall ceiling. I don't think he's an alpha, but I don't think he needs to be. I mean, Jarvis Landry or, you know, Calvin Ridley are awesome. And I think he can be every bit of player that uh, somewhere in that Calvin Ridley, uh, Stefan Diggs role somewhere in there. I think he's going to be outstanding. I mean, Stefan Diggs, obviously a little bit more downfield player, but somewhere in that, in that realm. And then when you look at, you know, KJ Hamler to take the top off, absolutely. And Alberto and Fant to kind of, burst the seam and and to stretch the defense from the inside. I mean, you're right. They have a, a really good talent profile across the board. And I I couldn't agree with you more about the, the Chargers. It's true. You know, I think they're going to win in a different way. And I think that does hurt the offense. Um, I've kind of been fading almost everybody on that Chargers offense for obvious reasons. I mean, except for Tyrod Taylor. I think Taylor actually, look, I think you're going to have to hop on the side and, and, and read my AFC and N- NFC previews because I looked at the schedules of every team and tried to figure out uh, a, a, an over-under for win totals for the year and, and kind of some betting uh, advice on who to bet over and who to bet under. And that whole division outside of Kansas City was right around seven and a half to eight wins. And, you know, all three of them are right there, Raiders, Chargers, and Broncos. And, you know, I like the Chargers the best because they have um, the defense, you know. Uh, so for me, I, I really agree with you all the way all the way across. And when you start talking about Austin Eckler not being on my fade list, you're obviously a pro at this because you you know you bring me right to running back fade list, which I think is probably a good thing to talk about. We're entering redraft season. I'm gonna hit you real quick, and you don't even have to respond, but just you can understanding. I think we probably have a very similar uh, strategy going into a redraft, maybe a ten or twelve team league standard sort of you know setup, one quarterback, uh, not tight end premium, you know sort of the the regular run of the mill. Uh, season that we all kind of play the, the, the league that you know we all get started playing a redraft league I'm looking to bang two elite running backs maybe three I, I, I told Tommy I think there's about 15 to 16 running backs I'd love to get two or three or four I mean if, if, if the league lets you um, and just sort of hammer those and then start drafting the likes of Cortland Sutton right you know Cortland Sutton DJ Chark all those types of mid you know third and third to seventh round guys I think I even saw a tweet from you that was suggesting that if I'm not mistaken, I don't remember, but you know, that's where that wide receiver value is. So when it comes to Austin Eckler and some of these running back fades, it's important to understand that 
just because I'm fading some of these running backs, it's not to say that I don't think they'll have good years. It's moreover to say that I think I'd rather have, you know, the top end running backs and then the mid round receivers as opposed to the other way around. And so some of these fades are are hard fades. Uh, we'll get to them. And others are maybe just I'd rather have the wide receiver going at ADP. Yeah, I mean, look, rounds four through seven is, is kind of the wide receiver sweet spot. And because of that, a lot of people are going robust RB uh, at the top of their drafts. I, I will never be that person. I I just am completely against that by every, every being of myself uh, as a fantasy analyst just because I primarily do play in dynasty leagues. And in dynasty leagues, I just want to be as competitive uh, for as long as possible and then hit on those big years when I happen to have the running back that goes off this year, so on and so forth. But I still have a team that's going to be probably in that second, third round of the playoffs pretty much every year for five, six years, just maximizing the opportunity that I have at at some point winning that championship and also maximizing my return in the long run. Because you can sell a wide receiver at 28 years old that eventually is going to get you a return. You can't sell a running back at 26 years old these days unless he just recently signed a brand new contract. Because we all know how easy it is for this team to go out the next year, go ahead and draft somebody, have to pay him a lot less, and get similar production. So uh, I, I do think that it is a little bit of a myth uh, in terms of robust RB or, or going hugely heavy running back at the top. Um, I think it's a little bit of a myth just because I don't think that you have the same level of receivers in that second tier. I think there's a lot of guys that a lot of people are excited about, like DJ Chark, uh, like Terry McLaurin, like uh, some of those other guys that you can find in uh, those uh, four through seven rounds. But, I mean, no one's going to give you Michael Thomas numbers. If Mike Evans uh, is going to be the beneficiary of maybe Chris Godwin not getting off the same start he did last year, nobody's going to have Mike Evans' numbers. Nobody's going to have Devontae Adams' numbers. Like, there aren't guys that are even somewhat comparable to these guys going any later than those first three rounds as well. So if you're going to have... Uh, if you're going to build your team around wide receivers, there's still a way to get there in the long run. And for me... It's, it's a little less risky just because I know at the end of my dress, I can just stack up with these running backs that are RB2s on their team or are the kind of the afterthoughts and, and just know that one or two of these guys are going to eventually get injured. And when that happens, I'm going to have some guys on my bench that I could plug in, uh, pretty much tread water at the RB spot and still continue to dominate everywhere else. So I, I do think that is definitely a, a, a way to build teams. I don't think it's the only way. Well, we have a zero running back truther on the pod. I did not know that. I love it. So it's hard to turn the dynasty brain off. I wrote a dynasty startup strategy article. It's there on the undroppables. And it will basically be exactly what Etienne just said. It's the exact same thing. It's, I agree. I actually, on a, on a startup draft, I actually trade myself out of those first two rounds, pick up future first, pick up mid-round picks. I stack my roster. I draft run, uh, wide receivers throughout. And they hold their value for the longest period of time. They are the most stable assets in Dynasty. So when you talk about Dynasty strategy, you are 100% talking my language. However, in redraft, and, and by the way, you're still going to have a harder time winning a league. You're right. You're going to be in the top whatever with that. But in order to win a, a, a league, you're generally going to have to have a running back that hits. Now, I certainly like to draft those guys in the rookie draft. 
because the breakout age in the NFL for for a running back, or at least a good one, is generally year two. Uh, and they kind of fade away by year five. That's kind of what happens. Uh, many of them are one contract players, and they're not given a second contract. Yes, there are exceptions. I can hear all of you guys saying LaShawn McCoy or something like that, but they're the exception, not the rule. So when you draft these guys, I like to draft them in the rookie draft, keep them for two, three years, trade them away, get more rookie picks, draft the running backs. Meanwhile, I'm holding on to these wide receivers for 10 years, and they're dominating Julio Jones and all the rest of them. Um, you know, Calvin Ridley's going to be a player for a long time. DJ Moore, these guys are going to play for 10 years. So I am 100% with you. In redraft, I tend to have a little bit of a different uh, mindset in that I, it's this year or nothing, baby. I can also draft those late-round running backs that you're talking about, and I do. By the way, I'm not a, a robust running back drafter. I think that would insinuate drafting the likes of whom I'm going to get to. So I came out with my running back fade list, and a lot of these fades would be robust running back targets. So insofar as this topic is concerned, you and I, I think, will be in lockstep. You know, I don't know which way to go. I'll go, I'll go top to bottom. My first running back fade is Josh Jacobs. You know, I looked, and his ADP is right around uh, running back 9 or 10. Our, the undroppables actually have him at running back 8, so they have him a little bit ahead of uh, his ADP. I have him as my running back 13. And where I have him, I'm almost never going to get him. Uh, it doesn't mean I don't like him. He is my running back 13. Clearly, I think he's going to be good. But I think I have questions about the offense. I've Just like you brought up earlier about Derek Carr, you, you were concerned about the offense. And I think rightfully so. They've got two rookies, Ruggs and Brian Edwards, and you know not much else. They do have a, a solid offensive line, but their schedule is brutal. And they signed 52 pass catching backs this offseason. No one's ever done that. The 52 total pass catching backs in that on that, I mean what the Between hell? them and the Washington football team, I just don't know who went more <laughs> crazy at the uh running back aisle at the uh, at the store when they were trying to figure out their teams this offseason. It's unbelievable. So tell me uh do you sort are you with me or or against me on Josh Jacobs? Is he one of your first round targets or even early second round targets or are you not really looking to draft him? So in this fantasy universe that we all live in once an idea gets out and it picks up steam, people are running with it. People are completely yep. running with it, regardless of whatever their priors were, regardless of whatever the information is that they're looking at. They're running after that narrative because that narrative is coming from somebody that they respect. So I get that. But oftentimes we overcorrect. Oftentimes we swing the pendulum too far the opposite way when, when trying to look at these circumstances going from year to year. And I think that fading a guy like Josh Jacobs is that pendulum swinging a little bit too far. Now, I understand that you need to be concerned about Josh Jacobs' target share. You need to be concerned by the number of jo targets that Josh Jacobs gets. Because, I mean, like you said, they, they signed uh, 100,000 running backs to go ahead and do that job. It went, up. It went from 52 to 100,000 real quick. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, like a, it's like the national debt. It just keeps going Exactly. Up. They just signed more as we're on this podcast uh, talking right now. In those last couple of seconds, two more running backs were signed. But Devontae Booker <laughs> yeah, they were. is already there with Lynn Bowden. You still got Jalen Rashard from last year. You got Theo Riddick now. Obviously, all these guys aren't going to make the roster, but the simple fact that all of of these guys are on this roster at the same time means to me that, yes, targets aren't going to necessarily be forced 
to Josh Jacobs. But I think that also discounts the fact that Josh Jacobs is extremely productive. I cannot overstate this enough. We have not seen what Josh Jacobs has done on the ground recently. He was top 10 in yards created, top 12 in total red zone touches, meaning that when this team does get into the red zone, he gets the opportunity to actually put the ball across the goal line. So he's going to get those touches uh, in those most valuable situations. He was 2.6% above uh, success rate uh, rushing over average, according to Sharp Football Stats, Warren Sharp's uh, site. Uh, this is a guy that used that top five offensive line, that top five run blocking offensive line to the best of his ability. He's not extremely explosive, but he finds ways to make people miss behind this huge offensive line that he has in front of him. Uh, his 88.5 rushing yards per game is actually a top three rookie season of the last five years. Top three. Think of all the backs that came out in the last five years and think of the names here. So we're talking about Dalvin Cook. We're talking about Leonard Fournette. We're talking about CMC, obviously. We're talking about Saquon Barkley. We're talking about all of these guys that came out in the last couple of seasons. Josh Jacobs had the third best running season in terms of rushing yards per game of all those rookies in their rookie year. He was top six in terms of total rush attempts, 242 rush attempts in his rookie season. Again, top six in the last five years of all of these combined draft classes with all of these super studs at running back. He was trusted to get the ball over and over and over and over and over again. And one thing that's interesting about the Raiders that a lot of people aren't really paying attention to is this Raiders team actually ran 22 personnel at the second highest rate in the NFL last season. What does that mean? That means they had two backs on the field at the same time. Now, I think this can happen in Oakland, maybe more than... Than, than has been previously considered by a lot of people that think Josh Jacobs will totally be off the field in passing situations when it comes to looking at the running backs on the roster. Josh Jacobs can absolutely be part of that tandem that's going to be on the field if they endeavor to continue to run 22 at the highest rate or at the second highest rate in the league. And they have all the personnel to do it. They just signed Jason Witten. They have him to pair with Darren Waller. They still have Foster Moreau at tight end. So they're well stocked there if they're going to run tight ends out there. We already heard that Tyrell Williams got an injured labrum. So they're down a wide receiver there. So we're expecting uh, Henry Ruggs, Brian Edwards, and Hunter Renfro. I mean, this is a team that despite what I feel about uh, Carr as a whole, I do think that this has the potential to be a decent offense. Now, I don't think they can stop a nosebleed. I don't think they're going to win very many games. But when it comes to looking at this offense from last season to this season, I think we're seeing a definite improvement. And that always means good things for running backs. Now, you don't always need to be on a good team to be a good running back. I think CMC showed us that all last year. But it definitely helps. And if this Oakland Raiders team can be any better of an offense than it was last year when it pretty much ran through Darren Waller or no one else, then Josh Jacobs is just going to be a beneficiary of that. He only paid 13 games last season as well. So if we can see some increased health there, just in terms of counting stats, we're going to see an increase there. So I, I just think that there's a lot of reasons maybe to look at Josh Jacobs and fade him because of target share. But nobody faded Derrick Henry because of target share. And I think, like Derrick Henry, Josh Jacobs is... In one of those positions where you mentioned all these backs on his team, do one thing. They pass catch. He's the only guy that runs between the tackles 
And that's why I think he's more valuable than people are really latching onto. I mean, you needed a water break during that take. It was so good. I mean, it's unbelievable. That was a great take. I will, I will, I will say a couple things. Number one, their schedule is is a problem. It, it, first of all, they start at the Panthers. That's going to be amazing. He'll probably have a great game. I see that. But you know, you got Saints, Patriots, Bills, Chiefs is going to be a shootout. They're going to have to throw the ball. So I mean, you know, their 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 run defense is not that bad. But it's on the road. Bucks. Bucks had the number one run, r- rushing defense last year. Browns. Chargers. Now, by the way, these are all in a row. I didn't skip any. I'm not cherry picking. That was two, four, three, four, five, six. I mean, yeah, he's got one week where he's going to be confidently playable early. And, you know, by the time, you know, it's, I just don't know if there's enough there. Uh, One other thing that I would share with you is, um, you know, outside of the schedule, um, let me ask you this. I can say that all the same things you just said about Josh Jacobs, about Nick Chubb, except for, I guess, Kareem Hunt. But I think that team will be scoring more. I think their schedule is softer. And I think Nick Chubb's a better football player than Josh Jacobs. But that's not that's not saying that Josh Jacobs is not good. I think he is. So in, if you're asking me, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to probably lean Nick Chubb. Uh, I'm also taking Miles Sanders ahead of Josh Jacobs. And I'll also also be taking Julio Jones. Now, that's all I mean is that there's a few guys at ADP that I'm going to be taking ahead of him. Would you take any of those three, all of those three, or none of those three ahead of Josh Jacobs, Sanders, Chubb, Julio Jones? I can understand Nick Chubb from a talent perspective just because Nick Chubb, kind of like Jonathan Taylor, kind of like Saquon Barkley, is just one of the craziest athletic freaks that we've seen at the running back position for a very, very long time. Um, But, I mean, you would mentioned Kareem Hunt. The one difference between what Nick Chubb has to deal with out in Cleveland versus what Josh Jacobs has to deal with in Oakland is Josh Jacobs doesn't necessarily have somebody behind him that, again, can do that running between the tackles job. Kareem Hunt's an all-purpose back. Kareem Hunt can conceivably take some carries from Nick Chubb this season in a way that nobody else in Josh Jacobs' backfield really can for him. So so I would just say kind of comparing those two, I'm still probably taking Nick Chubb just because I do believe everything that you said about Nick Chubb, but I don't think it's really that uh, far between. When it comes to Miles Sanders, I think it's a lot closer. I think a lot of people have a lot of love for Miles Sanders because of what Miles Sanders was able to do in the passing game last season. But, I mean, they've done everything they can possibly do to add targets just in the same way as the Raiders have done with uh, with 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 their offense, the Philadelphia Eagles have done with theirs. Jalen Reger, I know he is probably going to be out the first yeah. four weeks of the season because of the injury that was announced yeah, today. But I mean, he was signed, uh, and he was uh, he was drafted specifically to again increase that offense's options in terms of who Carson Wentz had to pass to. There's still other guys on that team. There's still Greg Ward. There's still uh, another guy, and I know that they're hyping up out there. They still got uh, J.J. Ortega-Whiteside, who I know didn't necessarily pop off his first season, but neither did D.J. Chark. Not to say they're the same type of player, but I'm just saying it can happen. Right. So if you're looking for a team that has a bunch of targets, a bunch of different uh, ways to get the ball down the field, I think you also have to kind of wonder that, okay, well, maybe Miles Sanders doesn't see the opportunity share that we would expect Miles Sanders to see. That's one thing that I'm not worried about with Josh Jacobs, because like I said, he had one of the top opportunity shares in the league in his rookie season. And on top of having one of the best opportunity shares in the league in his rookie season, 
there's potential for him to be on the field with another back if it comes to that. So I, I just think that the, the the way that kind of minds are diverging, looking at Josh Jacobs because of a potential squeeze on his target share and then looking at Miles Sanders and, and loving him because of what you think he can do in the pass game and in addition to what he does on the ground, I, I do think that there's probably a similar level of uncertainty for both of those players. You're going to get guaranteed ground workload with Josh Jacobs. You're going to get guaranteed... Uh, pass workload with Miles Sanders, you'll get ground workload as well, but not in the same respect. So I, I think at the end of the day, we're really not going to see those two guys separated by all that many points, but you'll see them separated by maybe a round, round and a half right now at the top of the drafts. And I, I just, I, I don't think that that's founded. I think they're they're probably a little bit closer. Although you're right, I think the 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 Miles Sanders hot air balloon. You know, I wish I could take credit, but I was I was saying it all year. I mean. But, you know, there's, there, it's certainly not because of me. You're right. There's definitely a, a consensus surrounding him. I'm just a little bit hesitant when drafting Josh Jacobs in a redraft. I, I actually, I, I do like him as a prospect. And, and, and if that team is good, he'll, he'll certainly be a focal point. Look, he's going to get carries. I mean, he's going to be the absolute 100%, no question about it, focal point of that rush game. He's durable. He's rugged. He's talented. I think he's an excellent running back. He can catch the football. We, he's shown that. We know that. Although last year with the shoulder, maybe there's still issues there. I don't really know what it is. But moving along, let let me share a take with you here. I, I've got the, from my money, I think the absolute 100% most, his range of outcomes has the highest range of outcomes is Kenyon Drake. I will tell you that I think he has legitimate RB1 overall upside. I really believe it. That offense is fast-paced, they open up big holes, they score touchdowns in bunches, they might be playing from behind. They're going to be doing a lot of stuff where he's just he's just running free at times. He's fast, uh, you know, he can make big plays. I just have a feeling that he can he could crush in that offense. So when people go out to best-case scenario on Kenyon Drake, trust me, I see it. I'm not buying it, okay? So I think they're, the downside is so far as well. I, I think the RB1 overall upside is there. I will give you that. But I'm going to tell you that I think the downside is he's kind of a the 40% to a, to a, to a backfield that's shared with him and others, whether Chase Edmonds or I don't know who. I think Chase Edmonds has the ability to be at least another 40%er. If they split that backfield with you know, 10, 20% to others, I think that's possible. I think he could absolutely just be a guy. As he has been since high school, he has never been the guy. Not once ever. Like literally the only time that he's ever been the guy was last year for a little tiny bit. Now when he did that, he was very productive. And if he remains that for the entire season, I gotcha. You got me. He's absolutely awesome. But I'm not sure he holds up physically. I mean, I'm not trying to predict injuries, but the point is he's never done it before. So we don't really know if he can or can't or will or won't. Some coaching staffs obviously haven't seen him as a lead back, maybe Cliff Kingsbury also doesn't. I just don't know. And for that reason, I can't draft him as an RB1. Now I might miss out on the helium balloon that he is, but I'm willing to take that risk. What are your thoughts? Look, uh, teams are only honest when they spend draft capital and they spend money. It's the only times you get any honest statements from team because every other time that you would expect these guys to be telling you anything like the truth 
understand that they're probably incentivized to do the exact opposite at that very moment in order to not tip off the team might be listening to that press conference. So, what does this have to do with Kenny and Drake? Well, they only signed him for a year. They only signed him for a year. With what Kenyon Drake was able to do at the end of last season, with that RB1 potential like you saw, they didn't take this opportunity to go ahead and sign him to a long-term deal. What that means to me is that this team thinks that it caught magic in a bottle. It thinks that it caught something very, very explosive, but they also have some concerns about durability, about whether or not he could be the man for the full workload of the season. I know you can extrapolate what he did uh, after his trade last year, and it comes out to over 300 carries in a season, but, I mean, the simple fact is, again, that's not something that we've seen from him throughout every career, his high school career, his collegiate career, and his professional career, regardless of how much influence Adam Gase had on him when he actually turned pro. (laughs) That said... Yeah, that the gaze factor, the gaze factor is a is a is an X factor for sure. It's a, it should be called the gaze factor. It is <laughs> a gaze factor. I mean, so you're absolutely hundred percent right. That's why the possibility is there. You're hundred percent right. <laughs> but I mean, Kenyon Drake is a lot to like four point four five fortieth, four point four five forty eighty fifth percentile burst score overall. Uh, he had the eleventh most opportunity share when he was traded to the Cardinals in the entire NFL last season. It was top twelve. He was top fifteen uh, rushing against light fronts, which is what I think a lot of people don't get about Kenyon Drake. Even though Kenyon Drake has a very very talented back in and of himself, being on that Arizona offense, as weird as it is, because that offensive line from a run blocking perspective and a pass blocking perspective really isn't that good. And I don't expect it to be that much better with Jones added this year, but they never, ever, ever run against stack fronts. They're always running against light fronts. So it really, really helps him to then use that breakaway speed and use that athleticism that he has on the edges. Brett Coleman did a piece. Uh, did a video on uh, the Arizona Cardinals uh, the other day. Uh, I'm not sure if you watched Brett Coleman, but I mean, his videos, his breakdowns are absolute gold in terms of what he's able to do. And and what he was able to say was that this Arizona defense can be a lot better than it was last season. If this Arizona defense was a lot better or is a lot better now with the addition of Isaiah Simmons than it was last season, then we could potentially see just the sheer number of plays that this team has to run come down a little bit. And that might impact uh, the, the number of rushing attempts that he does have if he indeed is splitting carries with Eno Benjamin, if he's splitting carries with Chase Edmonds down the line. So I do think that there's some risk to that. But I would also say with the addition of DeAndre Hopkins, with what we expect from a healthy Christian Kirk this year, this Arizona offense is going to be a lot better in the red zone than it was last season. And that was the real issue with this Arizona offense last season. When they got in the red zone, they were kicking field goals over and over and over again. And one of the highest rates in the league. So if they're not doing that, if they're actually getting it past that touchdown line, past that end zone line more often than they did last year, there's a real opportunity uh, for him to be the beneficiary of just added touchdowns uh, along with his regular workload. So if he can stay healthy even though there are obvious concerns that I laid out kind of at the beginning of this whole uh, poo-pooing of Josh Jacobs, I would say that uh, overall, I mean, not of Josh Jacobs, Kenyon Drake, I would say that overall, if you're looking at 
again, what this guy can do ceiling-wise and, and what his floor is probably going to be in an offense that, again, is going to spread you out and have four wide on the field at the highest rate in the, in the NFL and, and make sure that teams cannot really load the box up as, as much as maybe they can against some other squads, he's going to be in the best position possible to, 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 to really hit his highest outcome. So I would probably put more credence in his highest outcome than his floor because I just think he's more likely to be closer uh, to his highest range of outcomes than he really is uh, the depths of his floor. Excellent, excellent answer. I love that because I go back and forth. I just said it. I believe he's got, because of everything you just said, you're absolutely right. You know, if you watch the Arizona Cardinals play, you see just gigantic holes. And he's running for daylight. You're like, holy smokes, this must be a great offensive line. And it's not. They're not a great offensive line, but it's they're scheming him to open space. And, you know, they've got to pick their poison. And, and they are going to be potentially very explosive this year because of the reasons you stated. So, uh, you know, if ever he'll be back on this podcast, he will be because this guy's spitting fire right now. So thank you so much. That's awesome. And you're exactly right. You know, our our very own Brad Wire has their offensive line ranked at 23rd overall and their run blocking at 23rd overall. So you're absolutely right. You know, you you might a novice might watch that team and think they've actually got a good offensive line. They really don't. Um, so you hit the nail on the head. You're actually uh, you're, you're scoring perfect on the quiz, except for the early Denver Broncos thing. Uh, that was but really you won that, too, because you won the argument, even though you had the wrong side of it. So. Really impressive stuff so far, so i got to give you a lot of credit. So far, 100, A+. Now, let's really hit it. This is where the rubber meets the road. We've got a few. I'm going to group them in three. So there are three running backs I kind of throw in the same poo-poo platter, and it's James Conner, Lev Bell, David Johnson. Speaking of Brad Wire and our offensive line rankings, let me give you their run rankings now, actually, Pittsburgh, the, the total O-line ranking is, is much higher, but their run-blocking ranking on our on the undroppables, on, you can check this out, is 25. Lev Bell, the Jets, we know. Oh, my God, they're terrible. 32nd. He literally thinks that's the worst run-blocking unit in the NFL. And David Johnson uh, in Houston, run-block rate of 18. So this is all bottom-of-the-barrel run-blocking groups. James Conner and David Johnson may be broken and broken forever. I mean, James Conner, God bless him. He's one of my favorite athletes if, if fantasy football and scoring points didn't exist. But in terms of uh, putting him out there on my fantasy team, I am frightened. Lev Bell, we just heard uh, Adam Gaze say that uh, um, Frank Gore is the best running back on the team. I mean, he, he tried to sign Kalen Balaj, who is broken, and they had to send him back because he couldn't pass a physical as if the physical was the reason you don't need to sign Kalen Balaj. I mean, the gaze factor is so glaringly obvious. It's, I mean, it's comical. It's unbelievable. Here we are, two idiots on a podcast. And if I called you and we were running the Jets and I said, hey man, here's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking we bring in Kalen Balaj. You would literally wonder what the hell you're doing in this organization and why I'm even <laughs> talking about it. And we're two idiots in our mom's basements. This you know the trade didn't even go ridiculous. through, right? What's that? The trade yeah, didn't even go because through. Because he wasn't he wasn't healthy physical. enough. <laughs> he didn't pass the physical and they had to unwind the trade. I mean, it's just it's mind-boggling. So when it comes to James Conner, Lev Bell, Dave Johnson, David Johnson, I am out on all of them. David Johnson had a bad back. 
have you ever met any person or any athlete that like came back from a the, the back surgery and not being able? I mean, this is the worst injury. I mean, the absolute worst injury. You can't fix a back if it's really not good. Not only that, but did you know this? I mean, this is crazy. How many one thousand yard rushing seasons do you think David Johnson has had in his career? One. 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 The answer is one. Like I love David Johnson. We're, aren't we chasing hope at this point? I just don't understand. They're at ADP right around 19, 20, and 21, these three guys. I am out. Give me DJ Chark, Terry McLaurin, all these guys that you say aren't going to be as good as Michael Thomas. I want them all, and I want them right then and there. I do not want to touch any of these guys. I am passing all together. What say you, Mr. Mosier? One thing I will say is I try so hard to live on the side of uncertainty when it comes to playing in fantasy in any format because uncertainty is where you get the largest rewards. It's like with investing. I'm with you, by the way. I'm with you, you by the way. I love where you're going again. <laughs> Damn it. Why are you so good at this? <laughs> you don't bet big. You do not win big. It's impossible to win big if you don't bet big. You have to risk. And so for that reason, Give me the injured players, and we're probably going to talk about... I, I know we're going to talk about one definitely later on that I have something prepared for, but the guy I'm talking about here, James Conner. James Conner has no competition for RB1 in Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh is going to have the best, if not one of the best, defenses in the NFL this season. They will. Ben Roethlisberger, if he's healthy... I mean, he's been a quarterback that has had a pacer... Uh, which is uh, Josh Hermsmeyer's airyards.com statistic that is just uh, one of the measures of quarterback efficiency of somewhere around the highest in the league pretty much throughout his career. Yes, that's right. I mean, this is a team that we expect to, to be a much improved offense, not even necessarily because of the comparison of, of what they were last year to to what they could potentially be with a healthy Big Ben, like a rejuvenated Big Ben, but just kind of taking it back a couple of seasons. If they just get average performances from Big Ben with this defense, this is a team that's going to find itself in the red zone a lot. And as I mentioned before, James Conner has nearly no competition for any touches, not passing down work, not running down work. You can say what you want to say about Benny Snell. You can say what you want to say about any other running back on that team. Don't, don't not if say James his name. Conner is hey, hold healthy. On, hold on. I'm, by the way, real quick, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I'm going to don't, say his name, Anthony McFarlane. He will. He's a guy. He is a he is a guy. But real quick, I am with you with James Conner. If you and I are running a team together, and you say, "Hey, look, I'd like to bet on the upside of James Conner," I see that actually. You know, maybe he should have been in the Kenyon Drake bucket. A little bit more because the upside is 100% there. I'm a little bit concerned about the health. I'm a little bit concerned. So I will say I'm with you. I, I faded him a little bit less uh, via consensus because I actually have him at running back 22. Um, and he's going around uh, uh, ADP of 20. So I'm actually with you. I would take him at ADP. But the other two guys, I have about 10 slots back. So maybe I should have put Connor with, with Drake. I'm taking Connor with you. Talk me into it. Are you at least with me on Lev Bell and David Johnson? Or are you also feeling a little bit of upside there? Well, Le'Veon Bell, I mean, the hope was last season that volume would get you over the line. You saw that that wasn't the case. So I think you have to be out on Le'Veon Bell this season if 
you're just hearing everything from Jets camp. Not only is this offense going to be one of the worst offenses in the entire league, uh, we're also not necessarily going to see Le'Veon Bell used in a full role if there's guys like Frank Gore that are going to be in that backfield and cannibalize uh, touches because it's what he does. Um, if he's performing to the level that a guy like Adam Gase is saying he's performing to, the problem with running backs often is it's not the running backs that that determine how many touches the running backs get on a football field. Right. It's coaching, and it's trying to believe in, in in this in this theory of rational coaching that we think that we've all got down as as fantasy leaguers and as fantasy gamers and as analysts that are kind of looking at this. We don't know what the hell is going to happen. The only person that knows what's going to happen is these coaches. And what we think is rational versus what they think is rational can be diametrically opposed ideals. So for all these positive outlooks that you might have for a certain player, at some point in time, you have to kind of understand that ultimately it's what the coach says, or if you happen to be in Tampa, it's what Tom Brady says. But, I mean, that's one and the same. So, so when it comes to Lev Bell, I'm, I'm, I'm completely out on that. When it comes to David Johnson, I wrote an article on Numberfire last year expressing to you why David Johnson was a terrible bet last season. Last season on this Arizona Cardinals team that we just talked about spreads you out and has this running back, has whatever running back they have in their backfield, run against some of the lightest fronts uh, in the entire league. Now he moves to Houston, <sighs> and I think it's an issue of fit. When it comes to looking at David Johnson, because I expect him to be fed. I expect him to be fed on the ground. Carlos Hyde, for as meh as Carlos Hyde was last year, got 245 carries from Bill O'Brien. Why? I can't tell you. He averaged 4.4 yards per carry, but he did. David Johnson's going to get that regardless of what David Johnson does. But where David Johnson still has anything left is his value in the passing game. And he's not on the right team to really extract the highest amount of value from being a value target in the passing team uh, on the, the Houston Texans because of when Deshaun Watson. Deshaun Watson gets the opportunity to either throw a short check down pass to David Johnson or the guy who can cannibalize whatever targets he does have, Duke Johnson, versus running 20, 30 yards up the seam on a broken play. What do you think... What do you think Deshaun Watson is going to do in that scenario? Absolutely. I'm with you 100%. I'm with you 100%. He's always going to run. And and I think the other big thing that you have to do is you have to say, okay, what are the odds? There's there's odds, right? It's 0 to 100. What are the odds that David Johnson is dust, that he just isn't healthy enough to play anymore? I'm not saying he wasn't awesome. He was one of my favorite players. He came out in the same draft as Stephon Diggs. And those two guys were drafted late, both in the fourth, fifth round. They were my sleepers. I was, I loved them two players. But they're, it doesn't matter. It's, it's, it's irrelevant. If he's now a hurt, broken player, that is irrelevant. Even the, even what you just laid out is irrelevant because he won't be able to play at a level that is going to be keep him on the field, let alone be elite. So I am just not betting on him to be all the way back. And the scheme fit. And the way he's going to be used, even if he is great, is a little off. I agree. I think that if he's if he was perfect, I'd he'd be a slight fade, probably. Maybe not at ADP. I don't know, but but I don't know that he is. And 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 so all that together, it's stay away. Look, if it, it all comes down to ADP, because if for some reason he was being drafted in the 30s, why well, be like, dude, you should be 
grabbing David Johnson. I mean, this is ridiculous. So it's all about value, right? It doesn't mean that I think David Johnson will fail. It means that at his value, I can't take the risk that he will because there's other players there that have a much lower risk of failure at that at that particular ADP. And I think that's important think, to understand. Go ahead. I think David Johnson is dust. And if David Johnson I think is so not too. dust, then there's definitely uh, a fact of the matter that he's going to have to deal with a guy cannibalizing the targets he can do the most with, uh, with Duke Johnson. Uh, he's going to be on an offense that, again, is just not going to pass to the running back all that often, even when that's the, the notion about what should be done on that play. Uh, and he's going to be banged between the tackles on a team that doesn't have a great offensive line. And he's probably just going to find himself uh, not a, a major part of the offense because he's just not a guy that can be effective in the way that Bill O'Brien has wanted his running backs to be effective in that offense. Absolutely, 100%. And also, everybody, fade David Montgomery. Yes, yeah. no? I mean, do we have to talk about this? Like, I don't think so. I was going to move right on, <laughs> but I wasn't sure if you disagreed. Everybody. I was waiting. <laughs> I was waiting to see if you were going to be like, what? So, no, I <laughs> Everybody outside of the guy that's going to get 160 targets this year, uh, Allen Robinson, should be on your fade list uh, for Chicago. But yeah, I've been talking about Mitch Bortles uh, for a very, very long time and how he's just leading that team to ruin. And I mean, it's playing out in front of us. We're seeing this happen. And I think that uh, BDN, Big Dick Nick, he's he's going to be the starter uh, come week one. And, and we're even going to see that, I mean, even a switch like that to Nick Foles is going to be... Uh, pretty much a star turn for Allen Robinson at quarterback in terms of what he's had to deal with throughout his career. You'll you'll appreciate this. So I told you earlier about my, I did an AFC preview, NFC, NFC preview article, over-under, and have you paid attention to over-unders? I do. I do. Oh, uh, the reason I did this is I, I actually, what I did is I did not look at them. I picked my own first, and then I wrote the article. Okay, so and then I looked, of course, to, to write the article, but I wanted to determine myself what the over under was before I said, well, let's see, look at that one. It's, you know, 10. Do I want to go over under? I just said, what do I think the over under should be? Where do I put this team? I, I think you see where I'm going. What do you think? Or maybe you already know. If you know, you can say it. What do you think the over under should be or is for the Chicago Bears without looking? It's better if you don't look. I I if if I'm just not looking, if I'm just thinking Don't that, look, trust me, it's you know, gonna this be is great. what I think the Chicago Bears I think the Chicago Bears defense will win them seven games. So I I would probably say it's it's probably about seven and a half. Seven and a half is fair. I had them a little lower. About six and a half, seven was where I was at. They're eight and a half over under. Eight and a half. They have to win nine games for you to lose money. I will take that bet. That was my favorite bet on the board. Look, they might do it. I get it. I get it. But when you start talking about their offensive line is ranked 27th by Brad Wire on the undroppables. I think he's with everybody else. I didn't, I'm, I'm not checking everywhere else. I, I trust Brad. And, you know, they're run, they're run blocking 27th. I, I don't think they've got a good offensive line. You just said they have the worst quarterback situation maybe in the entire league. I mean, we play in dynasty and redraft leagues consistently, maybe the Dolphins in a redraft, obviously not in Dynasty, but certainly in the Dynasty, they're the two last remaining quarterbacks every single time in any Dynasty start. They're the worst quarterback situation in the league. David Montgomery is an average NFL talent. He is an outstanding football player. I actually think he's an outstanding football player, but he's just not good enough 
He's not explosive enough to to be to be good. The the, the weapons are average behind Allen Robinson. I, the defense is good, but I don't think they're dominant. I think they're going to be middle of the road defense again. I don't think they're going to be you know a top five defense. Maybe eight to fifteen somewhere in there. They'll be good. I agree. But with that offense, I just don't see it. I think they're going to be a below 500 team. That means below eight. I picked them at five or six wins. I think they're going to be worse than that. I think they're going to find themselves. Their coaching is not good, in my opinion. I don't think the coaching ever met. You know, he's one of those system guys, right? We always talk about it. He doesn't play a system that matches his skill set. He just plays a system and hope that shit works. Well, that's the worst way. I mean, I couldn't believe it. It was my biggest disparity, my best bet on the board, under, under Chicago Bears. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm in 100% agreement with, with you for that. Uh, I've, I've been saying this since last year. I think we had Liz Loza on the podcast. We were talking about David Montgomery as a, as a rookie. Name dropper. Uh, a season ago. <laughs> and, and, and yeah, I, I just don't think that that offense is conducive to, to a quality running back performance really any way you look at it just because you need to hope that a lot of things go well for that team to be any good. If that team is going to be any good, it's going to be because of its defense. And even right. that is just going to slow the number of plays uh, that that team runs down and so on and so forth. So it's just all bad yeah. for pretty much all the offensive players it's on so that bad. team outside of Allen Robinson. So yeah. Uh, so, yeah, David Montgomery, even he's dealing with an injury right now. In the division, I mean, you look at it, they they got to play Minnesota. Minnesota, by the way, just got uh, Yannick Ngakwe. I mean, that's going to be a big hit, a big help for them. You know, Green Bay still has – awful of draft as they had. I mean, I, I literally thought, you know, the worst draft I've ever seen, but they're still a good team. They still have Aaron Rodgers. They're still going to be competitive. Their defense is still good. Their secondary is good, right? That's a good team. Detroit before uh, the Stafford injury was three, four and one or something like that. Um, and bad coaching away from five and three, I thought, you know, so they were a pretty good team. Their offense is certainly good. I don't think they're going to fear that Chicago defense. When you look at th- the three teams in their division, I think they're just licking their chops when they're going to Chicago. They're not worried. Uh, they're they're excited about that week because they don't have to play one of the other teams. So I I just don't see it. I don't see how they're one of the teams that hits nine wins. But but we are running out of time. But let's let's try and hit some of this stuff. I think this is a huge deal. I, I said it to Tommy last week, and I still think this is true. I think the key to winning a redraft league is doing the right thing with tight end because opportunity cost is my key word when it comes to tight end. If you're taking a tight end that, you know, in the range where you can get, you know, the aforementioned uh, DK Metcalf or, you know, DJ Chark or any of these sort of secondary receivers, or even if you go down to Tyler Boyd, Landry, you know, these types of guys, you better have a good tight end and you better have a tight end that's better specifically and certainly better than the one that you could have gotten four rounds later. And so as I look at it, I have a top five, and then I have, I don't know, 15, almost 15, I think, tight ends that are in a cluster together. I don't have them all equal, but they're damn close. And when I see some going much earlier, I don't quite get it. Maybe, and I I think I sent you a little bit of a show sheet, maybe Engram and Henry, you could make an argument uh, mid-round. But even still, I'm, I, I am personally fading those guys until I can get, you know, the guys I really like, which are all tight ends between 12 and 17 ADP. Austin Hooper, Noah Fant, even Mike Gusecki, who I've thrown off a bridge. TJ Hawkinson, Jonu Smith, Dallas Goddard. All those guys are outside of the top 12 tight ends. So if you're drafting in a league, likely all of your league mates have tight ends. 
They're going to ignore tight end and take all these lesser wide receivers. Meanwhile, they have, I don't know, Tyler Higby, and you're going to get one of these other guys much later. So they're going to have Tyler Higby and Ola B.C. Johnson, and you're going to have Tyler Boyd and T.J. Hawkinson. It just doesn't make any sense to me. And 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 if they take T.J. Hawkinson, great, then you take Tyler Higby you know, in the double-digit rounds. I just don't see the reason to reach. Am I crazy, or is this another one that you're missing me on? Well, I mean, I'm I'm with you for for the majority of what you had to say there, but I mean, you said that there's no reason to to go ahead and reach for Evan Ingram, and I'm I'm a little bit offended by that because I Ooh, I, I love it vehemently disagree uh, with Evan Ingram. Again, we talked about this. I am one to just bathe myself in risk when it comes to fantasy leagues because so yes, sometimes great. ultimately you do get burned, but yep. when you don't. You get rewards that are unimaginable if you don't play the game on the edge and being that person that really, really involves themselves in risk. Evan Ingram, 8.5 targets per game, 22% target share, one of the top amongst tight ends in the league, top 10 yak, top 10 yards, or top 20 yards per route run, top 20 QBR when targeted. Uh, between 2000 and 2016, that Giants team has always run more plays than league average, so you know there's going to be tons and tons of opportunity in that offense. The Redskins and the Cowboys, I guess the Washington football team and the Cowboys, yeah. last season were amongst the uh, worst uh, 10 defenses against tight ends, and there's two games against both of those squads. And then if you actually look at Evan Ingram compared to the other targets in his offense, compared to Sterling Shepard, compared to Golden Tate, compared to Slayton, he is the best racer wide receiver on that team. And what racer is is another air yards metric. And I keep going back to what Josh Armsmeyer does because I respect the hell out of his work. But what racer does is racer essentially gives you a yards created for wide receivers. And in terms of what Evan Ingram has had to work with, in terms of target depth, he is one of the best uh, receivers on that team because he is the guy that has the catch rate and has the yak to go ahead and get the most value from the targets that he possibly can on that squad. Uh, Josh Armsmeyer also did another uh, article uh, fairly recently called uh, the Separation Over Average article. I think you can find at 538. Nevin Ingram, again, in those short yardage distances, ranked as the literal top player uh, in terms of receivers or tight ends, or running backs for that matter, uh, when it comes to gaining separation over the short area of the field. If there is going to be a safety blanket not named Saquon Barkley for Daniel Jones out in Giants land, it's going to be Ingram because Ingram's done it before. Ingram has had that rookie season that we're all still holding on to. But the reason we're holding on to it is because we know that if he's healthy and if he hits, I don't think there's anyone else on this list that has a legitimate shot of being the top tight end or being in that top three tight ends in the way that Evan Ingram can. Well, I absolutely agree with you. You did pick my number six tight end. So I, I'm with you. If you, I, I have a top five. If you want to take Evan Ingram and throw him into the top five, you can put him ahead of uh, of Darren Waller or Mark Andrews if you'd also like you to. That's okay. You absolutely put him ahead of Darren Waller. Abs- well, okay, then we'll have an argument there, but that's okay. 
I'm actually with you there. I, I think fragility is the reason. And your point to embracing risk, I love it. I absolutely love it. And especially, you know, you and I, I look, my, my, my handle is Dino Game Theory. So let's talk about a game theory piece here. The deeper the league, maybe the less risk. Uh, in other words, if it's a 15, uh, 14, 16, I'm in a 20 Absolutely. team league, you know, you have to, be you don't want risk you have to score points now at a 10 you team league, go for risk. Cause you can always pick up one of these other tight ends off the waiver wire. Anyway, if Ingram gets hurt. So the, 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 the do you agree with that? Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, that's also important to understand. So, Depending upon your league, absolutely take some swings for the fences, especially in those middle rounds. I was actually listening to J.J. Zacharyson, uh, his most recent podcast this last week, and he talked about upside in the middle rounds. He goes, a lot of those picks don't end up working out anyway. We think every pick is perfect when we make it. We're like, oh, it's the best guy ever. Look at that. But the reality is, is somewhere after pick five or six, the, the, the hit rate is lower and lower and lower and basically – you know, probably less than 50 or whatever it is, you know, it's not good. So you're probably wrong anyway. So you might as well lean into that uncertainty and swing for the fence. I a hundred percent agree with you. So I'm with you there. However, if you take away one of, you know, your boyfriend, Evan Ingram, and we start to go deeper, there has to be a point where you do agree with me. Let's take Ingram out. Is there a point where you start to see the flattening of the field? Or do you think that maybe there's a, there are a lot of other players like Ingram that I'm missing. Yeah, I, I know you don't like Mike Gusecki. I know you think Mike Gusecki isn't an athletic freak because he doesn't play or hasn't played to this point like an athletic freak, even though people with comparable yards per target and yards per route run to him in the first few years, a guy by the name of Vernon Davis is on that list. So we see that tight ends sometimes take a while to kind of get to where they were. But, I mean, look, I just think that there's a lot of these guys that can pop at the end of it. Another guy that I'd even add to the list that I'm not even sure is on the list is Blake Jarwin. I just think he's another guy that has insane athleticism on a team that's going to find itself in the red zone often. But I think the last thing I'll say about tight ends as a whole is I really, really hope that Higby isn't what we all thought O.J. Howard was last year because I think people are going to get burned with Higby, and there's a few reasons why. I know he had an absolute Gronkian end to the season. I know his like of, of like his last five games or something like that. He had like 500 yard games in the last portion of the season, and he was absolutely destroying everybody. But there's a few things that led up to that. First of all, the offensive line of that Rams team got injured to the point that they needed to run more two tight end sets just to keep Derek Goff upright just to keep that team even functioning as a unit at all so whether or not they're automatically going to go into for sure uh 12 personnel and run two tight ends the majority of the time or really become a really heavy two tight end set team i don't know because if you even look at last season it's not what they wanted to do for all this that we're giving this rams team in terms of what we expect them to be now running two wide receivers and two tight ends onto the field in most circumstances. This team only ran 12 per, uh, only ran twelve personnel at 21% of their total offensive plays last season. That was 1%, 1% above average uh, when it comes to looking at the teams that ran uh, 12 personnel. So I'm not saying their identity is going to completely change and 
They just drafted Van Jefferson. I know they lost uh, Brandon Cooks, and they they don't have that speed element uh, to their uh, receiver room in the way that they did previously with Cooks and then uh, before Cooks with Sammy Watkins. But Van Jefferson apparently was the fastest guy in Mobile. He was the fastest guy at senior day, and this was compared to Denzel Mims, who ran a 4-3. This was compared uh, to Devin DuVernay. This was compared uh, to other Really, really fast players. Antonio Gibson, another one I think that ran a 4.39. Van Jefferson was faster than all of them. He had 21.05 miles per hour. Uh, he was clocked as running, I think, on a punt return uh, in one of their practices. So this is a guy that has insane speed in himself. And we've seen what this Rams team can do in 12 personnel. The year before that, if you look into the 2018 season, this Rams team, I think, was in the top five in terms of total 11 personnel uh, run on their team. If you look two seasons previous to that, they were literally the top team in terms of 11 personnel. So I think they're going to run three wide receiver sets more than we think they're going to. And I think we're going to see a lot of Cooper Cup in the slot. We're going to see a lot of Van Jefferson on the outside. And we're also going to see Robert Woods on the other side. When comparing the two, Robert Woods uh, versus uh, a guy like Cooper Cup, I mean, I'm always going to go with Cooper Cup. I live on Cooper Cup Island. You can see that if you ever go to my Twitter profile. But, I mean, the touchdown the the, the touchdown rate and the, the, the number of targets that Cooper Cup has got in the end zone, in the red zone over the last few years, has really shown to me that he's probably the guy with the higher upside there. Even if you give Robert Woods the benefit of the doubt of, of being a better receiver on the outside. I, I just don't really think it matters. But what this all boils down to is there are a number of targets out there in Los Angeles that people are either disrespecting or not understanding how, they, how they're used or discounting in a way that is propping up Higby to, I think, this unsustainable level that he's reached right now. Kind of like Austin Eckler. I think these guys are going to be good. I think they're going to be great. I think right now if you're reaching for them where they're going – I think you're doing yourself a disservice. You're making a huge mistake because there's guys even just a little bit after them that are going to be very, very productive. No Font, I know, is on the list. You just mentioned TJ Hawkinson. Uh, he's going to be there as well. We talked about Blake Jarwin a bit. Um, Austin Hooper, I think, for, for whatever you feel about Austin Hooper, Austin Hooper is going to be a top six, top eight tight end, whatever, this year, regardless of kind of how you feel about that. So I, I do think that... There is a lot to be excited about at the end when it comes to looking at which of these uh, tight ends is, is going to break out this year. So let me let me give you something. So last year, just last year, 2019, how many games did Gerald Everett play with over 50% snap share? Seven, because he, he got hurt. He played seven games with a 50% or more snap share. And in those games, in those seven games, he had four games over eight targets. How many games did Tyler Higby play over 50% snap share? 12. How many games did he get over eight targets? Just five. So it was five to four. And he played more games. In other words, I think, and and guess what games those happened to be that he got his target share. It was in the games that Gerald Everett didn't play. I, I, I mean, I don't know how this can be any more simple. His opportunity, and I think that I heard this at some point, he has like, those five games are only five games with over eight targets and 65 career games or something like that. I mean, it is nonsense to think that all, oh yeah, and now he's Gronk. Look, he may be way better than his previous 60 games, and he may, but he's not going to be the last five games. That's what I, I will bet 
a lot of money that he is not that. And that's where he's being drafted. You know, because he's being drafted, like you say, right after he's being drafted ahead of Austin Hooper. And I, I just I am I am flummoxed by this entire ADP. Look, if he were being drafted somewhere around Blake Jarwin and and John o. Smith, I'd be like, you know what, Higby could be I'd be propping him up because he does have potential opportunity in that twelve personnel, but you're right. They did draft yet another wide receiver. I mean, come on. They just absolutely whiffed. So long story short is I'm with you 100%. And, uh, you know, let, let, let's move on because I think you and I agree, are agreeing 100%. I didn't put Jarwin on that list just because he's actually going even after, you know, the tight end 17. And you can go all the way down to Irv Smith and all these guys. And quite frankly, even Gerald Everett. Gerald Everett's a sneaky pick, especially in deeper that's, leagues. That's actually where I was going to go. Yeah. If I'm going to draft a, a Rams tight end at cost, at current cost, 100%. I'm going to draft Gerald 100%. 100% at cost. I mean, you know, uh, it, I don't know. You probably didn't listen to the last pod I did, but I, it was a, I, it's my Zach Moss, Devin Singletary take, which has been over and over again. I'm no big Zach Moss fan, but their, their ADPs was disparate. Same thing here with this. You know, I can get Gerald Everett for free in most leagues. He's not even going to be drafted in your league. Like he's not going to get drafted. He's he's being drafted outside the top twenty tight ends. He's available in your league right now, so you didn't even need to take a pick, and you have a coin flip as to which tight end is going to be the best one, Gerald Everett or Higby. And so why not take the guy that doesn't cost you anything and get another premium player where you can get uh, Higby? It just doesn't make any sense to me. Um, so you and I are in lockstep there. And I think roster construction has a lot to do with it. Like for example, if I'm if I'm getting. Uh, Evan Ingram, uh, as as early as you have to 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 get Evan Ingram, then then I would definitely want to, at the end of that draft, back him up uh, with an Austin Hooper, or back him up uh, with a Mike Gesicki, or back him up with somebody who I think is going to have volume enough to at least have a stable floor uh, at tight end. It's just a matter of where you want to where you want to build in the upside to your team is i think what should kind of be the the number one thing that, that leads you to draft whatever way you choose to draft absolutely so you know we're running to the end of it here but i got i got a quick one so we're going to do a couple quick hitters and it's just real quick um but here's what it is we're going to just go i picked a couple of guys that that some of them i'm drafting some of them i'm not sometimes both of them I'm, i i like drafting sometimes neither of them and I'm just going to ask you which one. You don't have to just answer that. You can give a one sentence or whatever, but let's make it fast. Let's go quick through them um, and, and give the people what they want here. Um, ADPs are similar. These are players that you might be sitting on the on the clock just in redraft. This season, 2020, you got to pick one or the other. Who are you taking? You're on the clock. You can say neither, but I need to hear why. So the first one would be Raheem Mostert or DeAndre Swift. In redraft. Yes, sir. In, in redraft. redraft. Only in Obviously, redraft. this isn't even close to a conversation <laughs> in, in Dynasty. That's why I had to preface it. Please uh, do not get clearly, it twisted. It's clearly Raheem Mostert here um, just because you expect him uh, to, to lead the backfield in San Francisco. Uh, they've already had a lot of wide receiver injuries. You expect even more onus to be on the backfield in that circumstance. Uh, this defense is probably going to be a little bit worse than it was last season. And... I mean, DeAndre Swift was was the training camp darling. was was kind of leading everything until he he got injured, and now he's 
kind of behind carry on again in the pecking order of who's probably going to start week one. So I think DeAndre Swift is going to hit at some point. I think it's probably going to come uh, around the middle of the season. I think Raheem Mostert is probably going to be a decent RB2 with the potential to be a low-end RB1 uh, pretty much from the jump. So it's it's Raheem Mostert pretty clearly there in redraft. All right, 0 for 1. Nice try. Let's move to the next one. Cam Akers <laughs> or Devin Singletary? Uh, it's Cam Akers, and it's because of the existence of Zach Moss. It's because of what Josh Allen can do when it gets to the red zone um, for, for the Buffalo Bills as well. It's because of of what uh, Stephon Diggs will add to this team and, and how I expect this team to even be more of a passing team than it's been lately. If you look at what the Bills did in the last three games of the season, they were actually amongst the top eight passing teams in terms of total pass attempts in the league. And they just invested heavily in wide receivers. So I, I really do think that this team is going to try to pass more than they did last year. And uh, I do think for that reason that touches are really going to be squeezed between Devin Singletary and Zach Moss. So um, if Daryl Anderson is going to be hurt and is going to remain hurt, uh, then I think uh, Cam Akers definitely has a, an easier shot at gaining a, a larger workload and gaining a, a very profitable workload in uh, terms of, of being utilized in the red zone and, and garnering those targets in Los Angeles, then Devin Singletary will get the opportunity to do in Buffalo. All right, you're, you're one you're one and one. That was absolutely the right answer. Now, here's the trick question. It's the Mostert or Akers. So now you tip, pick the winner of each. Which one out of those two? You have to pick one going, going into redraft this year. I don't think there's that much of a difference between Mostert and Akers. I, I would probably Gotta push the lean... Button. Uh, Moster, just because, uh, again, I do expect him from the beginning, to, uh, from the jump, to, to, to be that top back. We never know what's going to happen with rookies as much as we'd like to say that Cam Akers definitely has that job on lock. We don't know, we don't so know. I would probably lean Moster, but... But yeah, I mean, that's that's really close. That can definitely go either way. It's just a simple fact of, you know, if you ask me this question after week one, I might have a different answer. Yeah, I think you. you will. But look, at the end of the day, I'm, I, I, it's tough. Obviously, I ask tough questions because they're not, not easy. I am taking Swift and Akers both there. I think Singletary is, you know, pour one out. Uh, do you know how many career touches Raheem Mostert had in his uh, four or five seasons before this last year? Not enough, obviously. Yeah, it was like 40. I mean, it was like either 37 or 47. I forget the number. I'm not looking at it right now. But it was career touches less than 50. And, you know, that was in five years. He was on like five or six teams. I am never going to take a premium pick for a guy like that. Um, you know, I, I do see it, though, because obviously if 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 you told me, hey, Raheem Mostert's going to see 220 carries and 60 targets this year, well, I'd take him in the third round. I mean, I would. I mean, if that was guaranteed for me, because we know that whoever leads that San Francisco backfield. So it does go with your MO leaning into risk. I think there's risk there. The The only good news is that, you know, you really just have to clear Tevin Coleman, who really hasn't been a, a solid performer, and Jarek McKinnon, who's been out of football for two years. So I do see that. Although J. Michael Hastie is, uh, you know, obviously as a dynasty guy, you know he's lurking. And he's really uh, Raheem Mostert just this year and better. You know what I mean? Like, in other words, last year, Raheem Mostert wasn't Raheem Mostert. He was literally nobody. And I think uh, J. Michael Hasty is less of nobody than Raheem Mostert was last year, if you know what I'm saying. So there is definitely an opportunity for 
uh, for Kyle Shanahan to sort of pick his favorite guy, and and it may not be Raheem Mostert. But the devil, you know, in Detroit is is there. I mean, Carryon Johnson is going to be the lead back in Week One because DeAndre Swift is out with an injury. So I mean, between them, yeah, that's, that's a big problem. I agree. You just yeah. you don't no, know that's, when that's, he's going to get the reins. Yeah, that's a problem. Obviously, you know, I was uh, th- that take is a little bit microwave because it's sort of before Swift's injury, and and uh, yeah, you're right, 100. percent So for me now, the clear cut out of those four would be would be Cam Akers, but you're 100 percent right. Yeah, absolutely. So now let's move to your LA Rams, who we keep talking about. I mean, it is all LA all day. Uh, you are on the clock, and it's it's uh, Cooper Cup versus Bobby Trees. Uh, we can move on. I don't I don't really think we need to to spend any time on this question because. It's Cooper Cup. Exactly. It's Cooper Cup. This is your boy. I love this, by the way. Now, if it's, let me ask you, this is maybe a little bit closer to ADP. If it's Cooper Cup versus Devontae Adams, who are you pushing the button for? <laughs> Obviously, Devontae <laughs> Adams. But let's not act like Cooper Cup doesn't have wide receiver three potential because we've seen that. We've actually seen it with our own eyes. It's true. I, I I didn't mean to do that. That was obviously that was that was baiting. I was baiting you. I apologize. That is rude. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to bite it that hard. You got to give me something like at least something that I, <laughs> no, I, I can think about a little bit. I, I was wondering how high I could go before you'd be like, well, actually, you know, uh, no, that's great. Uh, so I love this one. This one's great. So DJ Chark or DK Metcalf? Uh, it's DJ Chark uh, because DJ Chark is, and again. Uh, you don't have to fade bad teams. There are quality NFL players on bad teams. Allen Robinson. The Jaguars are going to be a bad team. That's yes. okay because it means they're going to have to throw more. And it's still yes. a very narrow target tree when it comes to both of these squads. Actually, if you look at Seattle, it's the same thing in terms of a narrow target tree. But between these two teams, the team that I expect to lean on the run more than the, the, the team that I expect to, to air it out a little bit more, I think you have to look at the Seattle Seahawks as the team that you expect to be a running team. Carlos Hyde is going to be more prevalent and more important than people give him credit for this year it's not because of him it's not because of it's good it's not because your analysis is bad it's because of p carroll hmm. as long as that team has as much of a focus on that rushing attack i i struggle to see any type of consistency from anyone in that squad dk metcalf had touchdowns to kind of get him over the hoop or get him over the hump last year yeah uh, whether or not that happens, of course, we can toss it up in the air. Russell Wilson has been the most efficient quarterback pretty much of all time. Of all time. So I don't think we can <laughs> automatically take this away from what uh, DK Metcalf was, was going to do previously. But I'm, I'm worried about Metcalf and I'm worried about Lockett because I think the best thing about Lockett last year and the best thing about Lockett a couple of years ago as well was the, the fact that he had that entire shallow um, that that entire workload to himself, even though it wasn't a huge workload, now that he has to split it with uh, DK Metcalf, I think both of them kind of take a hit because of that. Don't forget the fastest wide receiver that Pete Carroll's ever met, Philip Dorsett, obviously target leader in <laughs> Seattle. Uh, let, oh, moving yeah. on. Oh, yeah. yeah, moving on. <laughs> I, I'm with you. Just a, just a real quick recap on me too. It, DJ Chark is uh, uh, my boyfriend. We started uh, seeing each other just recently. Uh, we were running through a meadow last week, uh, holding hands. It is unbelievable. I am so in love. I, you know, and of course that means he's going to be terrible this year for sure. But you know, I, my hot take for the undroppables was, you know, I think DJ Chark has a really good chance of being a wide receiver one this year. I just think he's really talented at the end of the year. And I, and, and I love how, how I turned around on this because, uh, rookie draft, I was out on DJ Chark. 
His first year, I took victory laps. I was out on DJ Chark. Next year, startup, I faded DJ Chark. I think he got picked in the 20th round of a re, of a of a dynasty startup. The next year, I didn't even take him there. I mean, it, it was I was fading him. I was wrong. I just was wrong. I love now that I see it, and you know that's uh, the, the the key is to be Bayesian and change your change your opinion when it's there. But but I just see him as as an alpha, uh, great speed. The, you know that that good long strong lean body. Uh, he shows great body control. You know, I think what threw me off the scent was he, he just had terrible numbers in a putrid LSU passing offense. And that would actually make sense as to why he wasn't effective in year one because he didn't have any experience running a pro-style offense or running any of the routes that they needed him to run. And he was on a shitty team, as you point out. So there's a lot of things that would make sense as to why he wasn't good in year one. Uh, these are two of my favorite uh, players to draft at at cost. I'm sure they are for you too, especially based on what you said. Maybe I'm wrong. Uh, maybe I'm I'm going to be wrong here. But you know, these are just like safety blankets in the mid rounds where you can just draft them and know you're getting targets, and you're not drafting ceiling here. This is an absolute floor play. I mean, there is some ceiling, but basically that ceiling is uh, low end WR two. I think is the ceiling, you know, or high end WR two, a good WR two. Jarvis Landry or Tyler Boyd? Who you got? I'm upset and offended that this is a comparison. Ooh, I love that. And I know who you're going to say. It's, a, it's irrational that I'm upset and offended because it's actually a fair comparison. Yes. Um, but uh, it, for me, it's it's got to be Tyler Boyd. And, and it's not because I, I do think that Tyler Boyd and, and Jarvis Landry are completely different archetypes in terms of what they offer as wide receivers. It's because I think Jarvis Landry is Jarvis Landry. You're, you know exactly what you're going to get from Jarvis Landry. He's probably going to lead that team in targets. He's probably going to barely hit 1,000 yards if he does. He's right. probably going to get four to six touchdowns. And that's what you're getting from Jarvis Landry. It doesn't matter who's throwing him the football, what offense he's in, what coach is calling the plays. That's what you get from Jarvis Landry. And you're getting it. Tyler Boyd, <laughs> Tyler Boyd is Jarvis Landry for, for all yep. intents and purposes in terms of the number of targets he gets, how he wins as a slot receiver, how he uh, his value is garnered from those receptions really more than those explosive plays or those end zone plays. But the difference is there's a light at the end of the tunnel for Tyler Boyd. There's Joe Burrow coming in instead of what he had in Andy Dalton and a bunch of just assorted trash at quarterback over the last couple of seasons. There's the simple fact that now A.J. Green is is healthier than he has been recently. We'll see how long that lasts, but, but that's a fact of the matter right now. If Joe Mixon clearly has migraines and is not holding out right now, I think that's up in the air. But if he's not... Then they have Joe Mixon as well. They have John Ross. They have Auden Tate at wide receiver four on that team that would probably be Green Bay's wide receiver two. So I just think that there's a lot to be said about the offense that Tyler Boyd could potentially be playing in this season. We saw Justin Jefferson completely rise almost out of nowhere last year because of what Joe Burrow was able to do with his slot receiver and make a slot receiver kind of an explosive uh, specimen the way he did on LSU last year. I think Tyler Boyd has that opportunity. I think you know what you're getting from Jarvis Landry. So I think you have to lean ceiling here because I think the floors are the same. Bingo. I, I, I like it. I you know I thought you were going to say Jarvis Landry when I said it's unfair just because of track record, right? A lot of people believe that Jarvis Landry is super uh, disrespected. Um, 
And I think they both are, actually. And that's why I like them both. I, I have an irrational hatred of Jarvis Landry. It doesn't make sense. <laughs> I admit now that it doesn't make sense. I've said some terrible things about Jarvis Landry in the past. I believe last year I predicted Jarvis Landry to no longer be on this Brown squad because of his <laughs> contract, uh, his... Uh, his uh, Dead cap money versus the money actually on you know, his contract you know who, makes it. You know, but yeah, but you know who Jarvis Landry reminds me of is a lot is uh, Cooper Cup kind of. They're like the similar play. Uh, moving on, moving on, joking, joking. All right, here's a here's a complete uh, dichotomy. You know, and I guess it's probably floor play versus ceiling play, but maybe you have a different take on these two players, and and I, and I think a lot of people will be looking at these two players, and, and maybe roster construction will spell the answer for you. Uh, in most cases and, and uh, league construction and things like that. But if you're on the clock, you going with the floor of JK, uh, JK, James White or the ceiling of JK Dobbins. Yeah, this, this depends for me if I'm drafting my RB three or my RB four at this Absolutely. point. This is yeah. where I'd be getting my RB three or my RB four. If I'm drafting my RB three, it, it has to be James White. I don't think I have yeah. really a, a, a bone to pick about that because He's going to be that this year. There's nobody else on that team to catch passes. There's Julian Edelman and maybe so, so the, here, the ghost. Here's a better question real, real quick. I don't mean to interrupt, but real quick. So are you comfortable? That's a bigger question. With drafting James White as your RB3, is that something that you'd be okay with? Because that's the bigger question then because that would actually dictate. Because if you are, it's actually a pretty good zero RB or not zero RB, but you know you can go little position heavy otherwise get a couple guys and kind of wait and and secure James White at, at value, at cost. And if you think he's going to do what James White did in the last, you know, just to sort of average season over his last four years, then, God, that's, that's a win. Are you sure that that's going to happen? Yeah, yeah, I, I am. Because, again, who else is on that team to catch passes? We've already seen Cam Newton Pepper running back the targets. So I expect James White to do that all over again. And, yeah, this is, a, this is entirely a floor play versus a ceiling play. And kind of goes against everything I just said previously in this podcast. So thank you for taking me back here. Uh, but but yeah, I, for me, it's just I don't know when J.K. Dobbins is going to take that role for Mark Ingram. I know Mark Ingram's a team captain. I know Mark Ingram, for, for everything that every, everyone says about Mark Ingram, he's still been a decent running back for a very long time. Managed to, to maintain relevance, even in the presence of a guy like Alvin Kamara. I think people discount that. Um, he was absolutely killing it for uh, this Baltimore team last year. Now, I don't think that rushing, rushing efficiency is going to be there, but, I mean, it doesn't matter. If he's the guy that's starting it, if he doesn't do anything to lose his job, it's going to be very hard for J.K. Dobbins to take that job. Over time, he will, but I don't think it's going to be, a, oh, let's defer to this rook immediately because he's miles above our team captain. I totally agree, and... and, and... I absolutely love J.K. Dobbins, um, you know, and I love the fit. Uh, I think one of the reasons that you might consider J.K. Dobbins is if we can imagine for a moment that somehow uh, Mark Ingram gets a high ankle sprain and is and is out for the better portion of the season. I'm not wishing injury upon anybody, but if it were to happen, J.K. Dobbins is, I mean, he's a RB1, they might, right? I mean, there's no doubt, right? There's no doubt. There's no doubt. But I also think that people shouldn't entirely forget about Gus Edwards. Yeah, you don't no, have absolutely. to like the guy. He's going to get carries in that backfield, and they're going to be efficient carries in that backfield because of the presence of Lamar Jackson. I agree, and I, I, I do think that you know when we talk about do we assume uh, rational coaching, 
This is one of the places that we can, and more than rational, they are optimal. And they did it with Lamar Jackson. I think they drafted J.K. Dobbins for a reason. I think they know exactly what they want to do with him. They're talking about him catching the ball a lot in practice and things that they don't even really do a lot. But I think they're going to utilize him to put pressure on the defense. I think he's everything that Justice Hill isn't, or everything that we they wish Justice Hill was, plus way more. I mean, he's almost closer to Mark Ingram as a runner. Uh, it's just unbelievable. I think he's going to be quite a player. He's one of my favorite dynasty buys if you can buy him at any sort of value. Especially, I would actually wait till he underperforms, a, you know, week one, two, three, because I think you're right. I don't think they're just going to throw him out there as the lead back. That's not going to happen. I agree 100%. Veteran deference will take it, its toll with uh, with Mark Ingram. But um, I just don't think they're going to be able to keep this kid off the field, especially when the games matter. You know, I think he's going to ha- – listen to this. I think he's going to have games where it's like, you know, he had nine carries for 79 yards and a touch. You know where you're like, just you know, just boom. And let me you know, ask you. Let me the ask problem you is question. you won't be able to depend upon it. But I think he's going to have some big games. Let me let me ask you a question. So yeah. J.K. Dobbins versus DeAndre Swift for you. How do you rate that? In dynasty. Uh, in in dynasty or in redraft, I think they kind of have similar outlooks in both. Well, look, uh, I don't know the situation with DeAndre Swift. It, let, let's say this way. I mean, if he's hurt, then I'll take. I don't even I don't I, I need to know more about the DeAndre Swift injury, but if he's healthy, I'll take DeAndre Swift and, and redraft. And actually, my, the take that I really had was all off season. I had uh, a, just after the draft, I had J.K. Dobbins posted at my number two dynasty running back, Taylor Dobbins, and I kind of was pushing Acres and Ceh above DeAndre Swift, and I had this moment, and for all the wrong reasons, I think I think. It's because of Carryon Johnson, and it's because of coaching. It's because of Detroit. It's because of all. And I thought, what the hell am I doing? This is the mistake that all the worst dynasty players make. They fade this talent for situation in the short term, and and, and I faded them to you know RB four or five sometimes. So it's not that bad, but still, maybe I should have just had them at RB two, right behind JT, JT and Swift. Stop messing around. These are the two best running backs in the class. They're gonna find a way. He's going to be awesome and, and deal with it. Um, I just got a little bit entranced with the J.K. Dobbins landing spot. Speaking of entranced by landing spot, our next quick one, CeeDee Lamb, my boy, WR1, versus Deontay Johnson in 2020. Uh, they're kind of going right there, you know, after the after that wave of, uh, of wide receivers, and they both have huge upside. Who you got? I think Deontay Johnson is extremely impressive in what he was able to do um, pretty much devoid of any quarterback last year, but true that. Outside of that, I don't really know if I'm all in on Deontay Johnson at all. Like I, I think he's an average uh, wide receiver that found himself in a situation where the offense was kind of crumbling around him, and he was the best of a bad bunch. So when I'm looking at taking him versus a guy like Lamb, like C.D. Lamb, who yes has extreme levels of, uh, of target competition on offense, but also at the same time is probably going to be in a better offense. Not only is he going to be in a better offense, he's going to be in an offense that's asked to do a lot more than that Pittsburgh offense will be asked to do this year. We just talked about the Pittsburgh Steelers potentially having the best defense in the NFL. The Dallas Cowboys, with the loss of Byron Jones and what they were able to or not really able to do in terms of replacing him over the offseason – 
that offense is going to have to be amongst the best offenses in the league for this team to even be any type of competitive this year. So if there's room to eat for uh, for C.D. Lamb, then, then I think that C.D. Lamb's talent is way in over Deontay Johnson. And I think at the end of the day, you can see potentially uh, 3,000-yard receivers um, out of uh, the Dallas Cowboys in year one. I wouldn't necessarily put it out to that, but but I do think that CD has has a chance to be better from Deontay pretty much from the jump. I, I don't disagree at all. I mean, I am taking CD Lamb every single time in that spot, uh, mainly for sort of your your the reasons you pointed out. I mean, the upside it, there's a chance that CD Lamb is the well. I think it's I think he is the best receiver on that team. Okay, now I don't think he's the <laughs> most productive receiver on that team. Day I don't one. know That's, if we're gonna go there. Uh, I I will. I will go there. I'm going there. I I just I am. But I don't think he's that guy on day one. I don't think he comes in and commands that sort of target share. I don't think that's at all reasonable. But what I do think is that when you're drafting these guys, look, if anything happens to either one of Amari or Gallup, his target share all of a sudden becomes bonkers potentially because that's a team that, as you point out, is going to score a lot. But even if they don't, you know, the, there was 83 targets to Randall Cobb, 83 targets to Jason Witten. They're both gone. I think it's a consolidated target share. I think, you know, you look at when it first happened, I wasn't so sure. And then I started to do my projections. And after CD, Gallup, and Amari, there's really no one who's going to command any level of targets at the wide receiver position on that team. There's no wide receiver four or five that you're like, yeah, but, you know, they could see 50, 60, not happening. It's just going to be fill-ins and and subs and, and, you know, and sort of, uh, backup players, those three guys are going to be on the field for you know a good percentage of the snaps together. They're going to run a huge amount of eleven personnel. It's going to be Blake Jarwin, who I think I think he had like forty five targets last year. I think he's going to bump it up in that eighty range. I think you're going to see probably a hundred targets each for Gallup, Lamb, and Cooper. I would put Cooper first, Gallup second, Lamb third in terms of target projection. But I don't think on a week to week basis that any of them are going to have downside. I think they're all going to be straight upside. Because I think the downside is just sort of five, six targets each guy, right? That's kind of, you know, if you have a bad game from one of them, it's like, oh, yeah, you know, he went three for 50 or something, no touchdowns. Like, all right, you know, it's not great, but I don't think any of them are going to be ignored and not targeted at all. I just don't see that happening. Obviously, it might happen in a game or two. You know, the the fantasy locust that is Amari Cooper, who I love, but a lot of people have a problem with his up and down weeks. At the end of the day, I think that's what you're going to see. So I'm, I'm with you 100%. I'll take CD and I'll take the upside. We're going to skip forward to one that I think I already know what you're going to say because of everything that you kind of been Hermsmired up. So this is a Hermsmeyer special. Sammy Watkins or Curtis Samuel? <laughs> I hope Josh listens to this podcast. If he does, you have to make sure to send him this particular clip because because he'll love it. To Josh, Sammy Watkins is the world's best decoy <laughs> wide exactly. receiver. That is what Sammy Watkins is. That is what Sammy Watkins has ever been. That is what Sammy Watkins will ever be to Josh Hermsmeyer. And in this instance, if we're looking at, again, this season from a redraft perspective, he's, he's probably wrong <laughs> if it's between both of these guys. Sammy Ooh, interesting. is probably going wow. to... To, to do more than Curtis Samuel would this year. And that's just because of the addition of Robbie Anderson to that team. I just, there's too many targets on that team. A lot of people are projecting a lot of things for 
DJ Moore and for Ian Thomas and for obviously CMC. At some point, we have to understand that Teddy Bridgewater is still quarterback of this team. Yep. You know, I, I understand that people like to say, okay, well, the only reason Teddy Bridgewater isn't the starting quarterback or hasn't been a starting quarterback in the league is because of the injury. That's true, but he also wasn't lighting the world on fire when he was given the opportunity to be the starting quarterback for the team. He was an Alex Smith-like. He was the guy who played well enough to win games, played well enough to make sure that you did not lose games on account of him, but didn't necessarily kind of push it out and and be that guy that's going to rack up those volume stats. So at some point, the music has to stop in Carolina. If CMC is going to be fed, okay, music plays a little bit for him. Then you go to DJ Moore, okay, well, the music plays for DJ Moore. Between Curtis Samuel and Robbie Anderson and Eden Thomas, two two of those guys are, you're going to be vastly disappointed with. And, and one of those guys is probably still going to underperform, even if you're not absolutely gut-checked that you picked him like the other two. But at some point in Carolina, the music has got to stop and people have got to realize that you can say whatever you want to say about all the weapons on this team and how bad the defense is going to be and how many plays this team's going to run and so on and so forth. But at the end of the day, we have evidence of what Teddy Bridgewater is as a quarterback. And I don't think he's a guy that can have three guys uh, maintain fantasy relevance. I just think that Sammy Watkins, if he happens to stay healthy this year in that number two role, number two wide receiver role anyway, uh, in that Kansas City offense, He's going to be one of the top four receivers on that offense, and I think the top four receivers on that offense all have a minimum, an absolute minimum, if everything goes wrong for them, 800-yard, five-to-six touchdown ceiling because the quarterback is Patrick Mahomes. You know, this is a strong take. This is a strong take. I thought you were going to go Curtis Samuel because of his unrealized air yards from last year where Kyle Allen was just throwing hot air balloons out there. Robbie Anderson, man. I would have. I would have. (laughs) Yeah, no, I and I and, and I feel that. I actually like the take. So I've been kind of on Curtis Samuel because of more optimal coaching, uh unrealized air yards and you know, his multifaceted skill set. You actually just swung me there a little bit. I'm not I don't know what I'm doing now. I thought I was Curtis Samuel easy. I was waiting for you to slam it home, especially the Hermsmeyer special. You quoted him twice and or more than that probably, but at least twice with Racer and I thought you were going to Use the unrealized air yards and the 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 classic decoy, uh, uh, you know, Sammy. But you know, you made a really convincing case, and and you know, uh, I, Sammy is also the guy who everybody hates. You know, no, everybody's been burned by Sammy at one point or another. So all of your league mates hate him, <laughs> every one of them. If they, unless it's their first year playing, that's the guy who might draft Sammy over draft. Like, oh, I've heard of this guy. He's good, right? Um, but like anybody who's ever played, he's like, fuck, Sammy, geez, I, no thank you. They're going to pass on him. He's going to be there when you are like, I guess I'll take Sammy Watkins. So you don't even have to reach for him. He's going to be right there for you. And you're right. The ceiling is actually much higher than that, really. I mean, we hate to say it, but you know, if you start to unravel his, you know, college profile, his skill set, his projected target share, you know, all these things—the offense, touchdown share, right—it just all of a sudden could all break for him. And it, I think it'd be the funniest thing ever if this was the season that Sammy puts up, you know, uh, 80, 12, 50, and ten or something like that. He's just a, a you know, a, a WR one yeah, because it's I mean, literally the- in his range of outcomes. But that would just be hilarious. The reality of the situation is if you get wide receiver three performances from any of these guys, like, you're beside yourself. Like, you don't know 
what type of karma is going to be coming your way in order to balance your life out now because <laughs> exactly you got extremely right. lucky getting having that happen. So at the end of the day, I don't expect any of these guys to be extremely productive. But if it's a straight looking at an offense that's quarterbacked by Teddy Bridgewater versus an offense that's quarterbacked by Patty Mack, you have to go with the Chiefs for me. Well, well folks, you guys all heard it here first from Etzen Mosia that Sammy Watkins will be in our uh, WR1 this year so draft him in the first or second <laughs> round and that's the show no I'm not going to I'm not going to make you out that way but uh but we are we are we've got to be done man you and I could probably I I loved this this was so much fun you are an absolute joy to talk to man this was so much fun I can't wait to do it again and I can't wait to do it again when we're talking prospects you know and I can't wait to disagree with you a little bit more this was our first podcast together and I thought it was a lot of fun man you actually absolutely brought the heat you were spot on with everything you said. I think there was a lot of value there. I really thank you for coming on. Uh, all the fans of the Undroppables and all the fans of, of me, I'm sure, are automatically now fans of you and are going to be seeking uh, your work wherever it might be. So tell everybody where they can find you so they can go hear some more of this awesome stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the, the one thing that I do have going is the uh, podcast that I do do, the Dynasty Diagnostic, that you can find on the Dynasty Trade Calculator Network. Um, I have been doing the Dynasty Diagnostic for about a year now, and it's just been all kinds of fun. So we're definitely going to be doing more, have huge plans for the season. Just stay tuned. And if you want to follow me on Twitter, you can find me at Aton Mozia on Twitter, E-T-A-N-M-O-Z-I-A on Twitter. Yeah, this is a guy that's going to help you win. There's just no doubt. I love uh, anytime I see some feedback from him, it's usually spot on, except for that uh, that Denver stuff earlier. But you know, we're past that, me and him. But uh, I thought it was outstanding, man. Thank you so much for coming on. And uh, I literally cannot wait to do this again. Hey, guys, don't forget to check out theundroppables.com. You know where to find us. Uh, this is Scott Belanger, a.k.a. Jax Falcone at Dino Game Theory. Uh, and don't forget to also please check out um, the unscripted podcast that BZ, Term, and Paulie are doing where they are absolutely just giving you all the knowledge – as a matter of fact, you want to know what's up with DeAndre Swift, I guarantee you they're going to hit it. They're going to know everything about it. We've got uh, Dr. Adam uh, on our team getting us all that. Uh, check out our offensive line rankings on the website. Those are going to be huge helps for you. And lastly, our, our redraft rankings are updated at undroppables.com. So go check it out. Win your league. I'm out.